You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. We're here to call out religious BS, look for better ways forward, and help you realize you're not crazy. This religious stuff is completely nuts, and it's messed up. And if you can handle your conversations of faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this, then welcome home. We're glad you're here. Today, we are going to be talking more in our series about spiritual theology, conversion, but we're going to be talking about experiencing God. Not quite the way it's going to sound, but yeah, that's what we're going for today. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you want to interact more with the show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. You can drop me a line at Stuart at snarkyfaith.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T at snarkyfaith.com. And if you want to leave a message on our website or ask a question, you can record it directly on our website, snarkyfaith.com. Stepping into this week's show, we've got a lot locked and loaded to talk about. We've got a lot we don't have time to talk about. So here's what I'm going to do. Instead of talking about my frame of mind and really kind of what's going into this show, we're going to go ahead and hop into our news segment. And I will editorialize myself as we move through some of this shocking and gross news of what is happening in the world around you. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? Right, right, right. We're going to put the cart before the horse, but then... We'll take the horse to water, but we can't make him drink. And I don't know. I don't know. But hey, let's go to the news. In the news. That's right. In the news is the space where we talk about the craziness of things happening kind of in the Christian sphere here in America. So first and foremost, first and foremost, I've got to tell you about this. Now, this comes from an article from Religion News. And the article's entitled, Earliest Mention of Yahweh Found in Archaeological Dump by Jerry Pattengale. Now, when we say archaeological dump, that doesn't mean that, I'm assuming, the archaeologist had a successful bowel movement. No, no, no. But, but what I wanted to, to point out about this one, because it, it, is, it is interesting in a historic manner, right? Because what I love 
about theology, what I love about being able to study religion is the idea, too, that it's, it's evolving and it's changing. And even when we talk about the history of things, it's evolving and changing as we learn more. Okay, so the article begins by saying this. An ancient tablet discovered near Palestine, uh, the Palestinian city of Nabulus, may contain the earliest known mention of God's name in a proto-alphetic Hebrew. Now, Scott Stripling, the Director of Archaeological Studies at the Institute of the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas, announced the discovery of the lead tablet on Thursday. This is like last Thursday. And he said this could push back the written record of the name Yahweh a couple of centuries earlier to at least 1200 BC and perhaps 1400 BC. Wow! Archaeologists are getting really excited about this new dump that's happening here. But what I liked about this is one, we're beginning to learn that, learn more about history and all of this. But the first, the absolute first known mention of Yahweh was on a certain stone. It's actually a less than one inch in length and width little tablet that's known as a curse tablet. Uh-huh, it's a curse tablet. And what does it say on this curse tablet that we have learned came from either 1200 BC or 1400 BC? Oh, the inscription on this reads, well, it reads something like that you would expect from American Christianity today. Yes, yes, I'm not making this up. This is, this is, this is the text on the inscription on this curse tablet. It goes like this, quote, Cursed, cursed, cursed. Cursed by the God Yahweh. You will die cursed. Cursed, you will surely die. Cursed by Yahweh. Cursed, cursed, cursed. I don't know if I'm totally getting the message of what was on this tablet here. Is someone, oh, they're cursed. Oh, they're cursed. Is this like one, like the first mention of Yahweh somehow has also the first mention of someone being an abject religious asshole? Yeah, yeah, that checks out. Apparently, apparently a Karen from the 1200s? Or the 1400s, somewhere in between. There's there's a Karen in the mix here. And, well, let's go ahead and say this doesn't just have to be a woman. So this would just be a Ken, Karen, or Ken. I don't know. What is the male equivalent of that? But yeah, yeah. Someone's not happy with their order. And they made a suggestion for the manager that was cursed, 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 cursed. Oh, religion, what do you do to us to go and make us a bunch of self-righteous tablet-scrawling assholes? Yeah, yeah. Apparently it gets the best of us, even in BC. But, like, seriously, was this, like, a uh, ancient text? One inch by one inch? chiseled on a little piece of paper. I don't know. I don't know. What is it? How would you even slide into their DMs? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. It may require pigeons or uh, other... I really have no idea. This analogy has exhausted itself. My apologies for letting this run on for so long. But yeah, yeah. It's got to kind of make you think a little bit, right? A little bit about how somehow 
religion entitles people to be able to curse others. What a wonderful history we have here. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It's only going to get worse from here, folks, because that was the light story I was leading with. That was the light one. It was the light one. Because, honestly, I, I've got to do a little bit of personality dumping here. I, I've got to get some things off of my chest. When I said personality dumping, it's not quite like archaeological dumping, but I've already said dump way too many times. So suffice to say, and with a lack of a better transition here, I've got to tell you that I have a group of friends that are horrible people. They're a bunch of current pastors and ex-pastors. Yes, yes, we meet to talk, to discuss, to study things. But at the same time, they lead me into territory I wish I hadn't gone down. Case in point, oh, has anyone, has anyone descended into the new Discovery Plus series about Hillsong? About the fraud, the abuse that is Hillsong? Oh, I didn't want to. I've lived things like this before, but no, 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 no. They were like, oh, you gotta watch it. Everyone's gotta watch it. So... If you happen to want to watch it, I'll give you a, a brief summary of that. And also tell you, Discovery Plus has a wonderful seven-day free preview, which I cashed in on, watched the three-part miniseries, and then found I had nothing else that I needed on Discovery Plus. But this story is not about Discovery Plus. Sorry, Discovery Plus! Not about you. No, this is talking about this like this catastrophic uh, system of Christian celebrity, of 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 well, physical and sexual abuse, of pedophilia, of of all of this centered around a church that is known as the bastion for Christian feel-good music, right? And like, what? They're corrupt? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially what the miniseries does is really lays out how the entire idea of, uh, especially like in the 70s and 80s, which were kind of where the, the genesis years of Hillsong and their, and their founding pastor, Brian Houston, and also his pedophile dad, that's the whole part of the story because Brian Houston is now finally resigned after all of the kerfuffle that's gone on here. Not about lying about his dad being a pedophile and not actually uh, reporting it to the authorities. But no, they found out that Pastor Brian Houston had been having an inappropriate relationship with two different women for a while. Irregardless, this guy is going to go away. Irregardless, he's not a pastor anymore. Uh, they talk about Carl Lentz, a bunch of other stuff, a bunch of other stuff, but, 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 but. Some of the highlights that, that, that grabbed me, that, that I do think that, that will lend itself to part of our conversation today when we continue to talk about what is like kind of the, what is the substance of faith and conversion and, and walking towards finding God? Well, the, the thing that continued to get me was that they really set up this church, not really as a church, but as like this corporate movement. This, this was a brand that they were pushing that happened to have bits 
about Jesus and spirituality sprinkled in. But this was like one of the fine examples of what it looks like when you have a church that goes for profits over people. Uh, for the most part, they, this church kind of went after it as, and what are people? Oh, they're tools for us to build our own kingdom? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch of crazy stuff and kingdom building stuff that we will hop into that is based on a lot of these ideologies behind Brian Houston. But yeah, yeah. To this group of friends of mine, you guys are terrible. You made me sit through this horrible thing. It's actually not a bad documentary. It drags on a bit, but at the same time, it was kind of great in, in a weird self-flagellation manner for me to be able to kind of cast myself back into the throes of being around quasi-Pentecostal four-square megachurch stuff that I had earlier in my game. Uh, my game, <laughs> my career in ministry many moons ago. And it dredged up a bunch of stuff. So I was going like, ooh, yeah, ooh, ooh, yeah, we went through this in a smaller scale. Oh, oh, this is, yeah. So not a bad thing, not a bad series to be able to watch. Uh, if you have any like church trauma abuse, uh, especially just sexual and otherwise, I just definite, 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 definite trigger warnings. But it is good news that recently, yeah, that uh, Brian Houston is also going to be going to jail uh, for not disclosing that his father, the pastor in the past, had been a pedophile and just kind of they tried to buy people. You know, you know the way things go. Anytime, anytime you're involved in a ministry that involves NDAs, that should be a red flag that probably was not be the first red flag that you had received in your soul. But anytime they start whipping out NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, you're like, is this a church? What are we here for? What is even happening? Yeah. But they're a great archetype to look at for how much of the whole modern church megachurch movements uh, has really become more about marketing and money than about people or anything else. It's also good to be able to watch about the kind of narcissistic nature of how we set up and set systems of power around pastors in churches in many places too, and how those kind of systems can get abused to disgusting degrees. Add that with purity culture, prosperity gospel, and a bunch of other stuff, and you got Hillsong, you got Hillsong. And I will say this, I was actually thankful for this documentary for reminding me about this whole idea of seven mountain dominionism. And this is a very weird thing that kind of came out of charismatic Pentecostal churches, but has really made its way into a lot of the evangelistic uh, conservative fundamentalist church movements and how they try, they're trying right now to be able to infect all discourse and bend it to their will. Now, I'll give you a broad idea behind what this is, and we'll pick out some examples in following stories and Christian crazy that we get into. But um, it's, it's this idea uh, with this seven mountain mandate that they have this. It's not really mountains, but it's this idea that they want to be able to occupy spheres of influence in society. And they would say they're doing it for the glory of God. But really, they're just trying to make the kingdom of God 
in their own image and preference. Now, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God here. This is not the kingdom of God we talk about on this show. The kingdom of God being something that's defined with love of others and compassion and grace. Yeah, that's not this. But this is their version of kingdom of God is seen in being able to occupy these seven mountains of influence in culture. Okay. So it goes like this. And they pointed this out and I'd I'd forgotten about this. And a lot of these Christian crazy guys that we will hit in a little later, they revel in all of these kind of things. So the seven mountains and the seven mountain mandates are these. So it's the idea that they want to capture and be able to influence all of these areas. One, education. Two, religion. Three, family. Four, business. Five, the government slash military. Six, arts and entertainment. And seven, the media. Right? So this is this idea that we've kind of seen. That this, it's, it's really a... It, 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 is, it is a huge movement that, that the religious right likes to push. They don't always put it in these ways. Some of them will literally teach this <laughs> on Sunday morning. But most of them don't say this overtly, but they want to move towards this. This idea that these mountains are things we want to occupy so we can invade culture in these, harness them to our Christian nationalist ideas, and wield these to be able to brainwash converts in each of these areas. Again, those areas are education, religion, family, business, government arts, entertainment, and media. And we're going to be descending into more of those right now. So I I bring this up because I also want to talk about two things. One of those is the most devastating thing that I heard through the the entirety of that docuseries. And two, I want to point out, as we descend into the Christian crazy in a few moments, about how this weird seven mountain ideology is crafting and morphing a lot of conservative Christianity today. Now, to kind of put a bow on the end of our discussion about that, the Hillsong series, I, I, wanted, I wanted to highlight the trauma and abuse that happens to people that become a part of these organ grinder machines that are known as churches. And there's often kind of abuse that happens. But the harder abuse is the abuse that happens when the community around you doesn't believe you and pushes you away because of the things that you are saying make them uncomfortable and they don't want to reckon with them. And I know I fall, I fall prey to the fact that sometimes I get so caught up in the anger of this whole celebrity pastor that I oftentimes just gloss over the, just the wreckage that is caused in human lives in it. And this comes, uh, this clip that we're going to show, I, I thought it was so articulate. And this comes from, he is an attorney advocate for abuse survivors in cases like this. And his name is Boz uh, Tikavinian. We'll just run with that one. But, but one of the things I think that, we have to also realize is that oftentimes when churches promise this idea of community, it's a very conditional community. And when you rock the boat, bad things happen. And this, this, this was like the most damning thing I heard and it rocked my soul very deeply. What I've consistently heard from abuse survivors from faith communities has been the following. 
The abuse that was perpetrated against me by the perpetrator was traumatic, and it's going to take a lifetime for me to process it and heal from it. But what was worse than that was the response of the very community that I thought was going to be my greatest advocate, but who turned their back on me. That I don't know if I'll ever heal from. That's really profound if you think about it. What it's saying is that, is that the failed response of the church or faith community has a graver impact on the victim than the actual abuse itself. So the impact and the way a community responds to an abuse victim is often worse than the act of abuse itself. That, that, that bothered me very deeply. I've been, I've been around many churches and there is overt abuse. There is, <laughs> there's kind of subtle abuse that happens, but abuse is abuse. And for those that may be listening in, in, and I know this is a snarky show where we make fun of all this kind of stuff, but this stuff is real. This stuff is serious. I've been to therapy where my therapist has been, oh yeah, you uh, flippantly, because I often talk flippantly about myself. So a therapist had said, oh yeah, you've got PTSD. That's just, that's a thing, right? You, you were raised in this environment and you experienced all of these different things at churches. Yeah, it's PTSD. And yeah, it is PTSD. And your experiences and your trauma and the things that you went through are very, very real. And those areas need tending to and nurturing and healing that is best served through a licensed therapist. Now, I say that because I bring up all of these things, stepping into another kind of squishy area of where we are at in the news. because. Florida has actually passed and their governor has signed into effect the Don't Say Gay bill. And I'm going to read a little bit of a synopsis from Slate.com uh, called The Biggest Lie About Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, a racist one crucial word by Mark Joseph Stern. Now, the article begins by saying this, uh, in the week since Florida lawmakers passed HB 1557, dubbed the Go Don't Say Gay Bill, the law's most prominent supporters have refused to publicly tell the truth about what the measure actually says. According to the law's sponsors and cheerleaders, HB 1557 is a simple ban on teaching very young students about sex. It is, uh, it is needed, they say, to prevent, quote, groomers, weird, to prevent groomers, specifically gay and trans teachers, from attempting to, con to corrupt and indoctrinate children with explicit classroom materials. Now, again, this is already weird and paranoid where they're going with this, but you can also see why they're going in this direction. So the article continues saying, in reality, HB 115, or I'm sorry, 1557, uh, uses intentionally vague language to outlaw a huge amount of speech about LGBTQ people's families and issues, not just sex, in every grade. And it relies upon vigilante enforcement mechanisms to chill an even broader amount of speech by subjecting violators to humiliating investigations and ruinous lawsuits. Further down in the article, uh, they point out this. Even if no parent ever sues, because they're, what they're doing is they're also engaging the populace in the ability to be able to uh, sue teachers, uh, to go after school districts, to be able to monitor teachers for everything that they're saying here. And so 
The article says, even if no parent ever sues under HB 1557, the threat of enforcement will hang over school districts. Just as doctors stopped performing abortions when Texas passed SB 8, teachers will stop mentioning LGBTQ issues once this bill takes effect. And that's the point. The law has a chilling effect on speech, frightening educators into silence, and a parent can ruin teachers' lives by filing complaints or a lawsuit. Even if the teacher is ultimately exonerated, they will have suffered through an intrusive investigation, face the accusation of misconduct or, quote, grooming that will never fade away completely. Many reasonable educators would rather stay quiet than risk months or years-long probe into their classroom speech, one that may well end in their dismissal or even at a minimum, a permanent stained reputation. Now, what I will tell you is this. I, I, have, I have never formally been a public school teacher. I have, I have worked as a tutor and an ESL teacher outside of schools. I have volunteered in high schools and middle schools. I, I've been in and around this a lot of my life, especially within ministry, because I, I did, I worked for an evangelistic organization where we worked with school districts, uh, with middle school and high school kids. And one of the most heartbreaking things that I would see working with the religious communities and those students that were outside the religious communities that would still come to drop-in centers and things that we would do was the fact that Christian parents by and large would find reasons to be able to kick their LGBTQ children out of the house. I saw this time and time again. If a kid comes out, they, the parents will kick them out and they will disown them. And, and us making it harder on LGBTQ people, and especially as, as, as in young students, not being able to express themselves, not being able to ask questions, not being able to process... When we continue just to, to, to put earmuffs to the situation, especially in Florida, this is only going to cause craziness. This is only going to cause more harm and abuse. It's, it's much like what we saw at Hillsong, where you continue to try to strong arm situations where you don't let people think for themselves, where you just say, I know what's best and I'm going to force this through on you and your kids. I see right now the state of Florida is not much different than Hillsong in, in, in what they are trying to do push forward and perpetuate. I've seen firsthand how Christian parents treat their LGBTQ children. And it's, and it's so heartbreaking and sad. And, and even in my own personal life, we've had, <laughs> I've got two college students. I've got two high school students. So we ended up having two college spring breaks with kids kind of around home. And this past week has been the high school spring break. And what we have it's been something beautiful for me. It's, I think I've mentioned this before, but I feel like I'm circling back around to youth ministry where we have kids in our house all the time, hanging out, coming to find community and just find people that are nice to them. And especially adults, like parents that, that are nice to them. And, and I, I think of the diversity of friends that my, my younger two children have, um, all my children have, but specifically the younger two, the high school kids. And I find it so beautiful the diversity of friends that come in to my house, the diversity of conversations I have with, with kids that are trans and gay that are in my house and with kids that oftentimes, especially during spring break and other times where I'm recording this in my room and they're listening to this conversation and it leads to different spiritual conversations. And most of those center around the fact of they 
they meaning LGBTQ kids that I have spoken with beyond when I was in ministry. These are just ones that literally just come and hang out in my house and eat my food. They hear me talking about faith and they always have questions. And most of those questions surround this idea where they feel like, is it true that God really hates me? Is it true that I'm going to go to hell? And it's led to some really beautiful conversations to where I'm kind of going like, no, that's not any of this. That's not any of what, that's not any of what, the Gospels and Jesus talks about. This is a weird form of cultural Christianity that leans towards Christian nationalism and the seven mountains and wanting to be able to flex their way onto the world. And that is not the same way. That is not the same kingdom. None of that is the same as what Jesus preached. And I know that we're going a little long in the tooth here on this early conversation, but I'm going to do a pretty rapid fire example of our Christian crazy of the week. And I, I, do, I do deeply love to make fun of these asses and buffoons that claim to represent the faith. But I do it today to be able to represent the weird, bigotous, xenophobic way that Christianity has morphed itself into. And so, yes, we'll be making fun of them, but I'm also just going to show you three quick hits. And, and I will, as I do most weeks, <laughs> my listeners, uh, if I have extra crazy or other stuff, it gets thrown in on the end of the show, which if you're a terrestrial radio listener, you don't get it. So you got to check out the podcast if you want more crazy, not every week, but most weeks. So with that, with that as a really, really long send up for the Christian crazy, here it is, your best of the worst of the week, your choices cuts of Christian nuts, the Christian crazy of the week. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So starting things off, it just kind of getting the juices flowing here and uh, very, very quick Christian crazy we're going to go through here. You know, if here's my idea, if if you're having to argue with God or at least speak to God, and tell God, hey, God, we're not a cult. That's pretty much the definition of what it would mean to have a cult, where you're arguing with God on whether you have a cult, like this. I came home from the office one day, and I remember we walked into the house from the garage. I mean, we were just exhausted. We'd had it. We said, God, you know we're not a cult. We preach the Bible. We pray in tongues. Oh, we preach the Bible. We pray in tongues. Oh, thanks, Brenna Kuhneman. Brenda Kuhneman is the wife of Hank Kuhneman. So, yeah, yeah. Such a solid BS marriage because those both can deliver it. It's like a big dump that's not archaeological. But in the general thread that we have in the show of things that are not Christianity, that, that, that fits in with it. And speaking about the don't say gay bill that has now been signed into effect in Florida, let's think about what some of these other Christian dominionists think about it. What say you, Lance Wallenau? Give us something that seems, you know, reasonable and measured. The media's calling it the Don't Say Gay Act uh, bill. And so, and DeSantis called him out for it the other day. He really went after a reporter who, who talked about that. He said, no, no, no. We're talking about kindergarten, kindergarten to third grade. 
We need to be talking yeah, about yeah, we, that right now. This is where you could push back and say, this, these are the must-be gay activists. Yeah. You must convert. You must be gay. Yeah. You must accept it. You must embrace it. You must affirm it. You're not allowed to reject it. If you do, you should be deplatformed, and all your money should be taken from you. That's a religion, folks. Yeah. That's, that's as bad as the Taliban. You got the trans-Taliban. Oh, that's delightful. That's nice. Invite that guy over for a dinner party immediately. He sounds like a fun one to hang out with. <laughs> Good God. The Taliban? Really? So Lance is saying, essentially, if you were against the Don't Say Gay bill, that essentially means you're part of some sort of a secret gay cabal that wants everyone to be gay. What are you talking about, Lance? Are you saying that because I support gay and trans rights that I'm gay? Well, the hell, you're right. I am in support of gay and trans rights. The hell, you are right that I do. I don't have to be gay to be able to support human rights to support being decent to other human beings. Because honestly, honestly, Lance, this ain't about your preference. If you're really, like, claiming to Christianity, your ways should be more like God's ways. And instead of saying what we can't do, what, what does the kingdom of God tell us to do? To love God and love others? Oh, who is love others? Everyone that's not you. <gasps> oh, no, that means I have to love Lance? Yep, yep. I'll try. I'll try. But I also don't like bullies that push through things that hurt young people, that mess with people that are marginalized. And I just cannot stand for it. And it gets even worse with Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. And I love how he tries to lay out all of this, all of this. You know, humans looking for equal rights. Yeah, people wanting to have equal rights under law. Uh-huh. Well, folks, that, mm, that doesn't sit well with Tony because Tony only wants rights for certain people because apparently to him, what's happening right now is, is the zenith of rebellion against God. I'd probably think the zenith of rebellion against God is not loving people, but this, this, this is totally, in Tony's whacked out brain, the worst. This whole thing with LGBT is the zenith of man's rebellion against God. Mm. 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 The creator who created us in his own image, we're saying no, we will decide, not biology, not science, we will decide what our gender is. Mm. This is the zenith of rebellion against God. Mm. And, and that is the only explanation for how people are surrendering to this agenda, how adamant the advocates of this agenda are, and why we, as believers in Jesus Christ who love people and do not want to see our children condemned to confusion for the rest of their lives must speak the truth of God's word. Jesus did it. Matthew 19, Jesus said, have you not read from the beginning that God created them male and female? Yeah. Jesus made yeah. very clear there are two genders, not 52. There are two. Wait, let's just kind of like, you know, let's just, let's, let's pump the brakes right here on your miscontextualizing of things that Jesus 
was saying. Jesus was not talking about gender. Jesus was not talking about LGBTQ people. Jesus never spoke about people and gender and the LGBTQ issue. That's not what he was getting at. Now, what they're trying to use here, which, which, you know, if you want to use their literal, literal logic, if you want to read the beginning of Genesis literally, literally, a text that was written as a poem, if you want to read it literally as, as they take it as science, so God creates Adam, and out of a man, he creates a woman. So when you begin to see that God is creating something out of something else, it kind of really kind of lends you back to going like, mm, what's your big issue with gay and trans people? I mean, you know, God made one gender out of another. And it, it, it just, it, it's messy when we take things like scripture and do not read them in context or well, which actually, which actually I'd meant to say this earlier in the show. I wanted to actually throw something out to you guys because we are in the midst of a different series of going through talking about uh, spiritual theology and what does it mean to be walking out with Jesus. A further series I want to do is, is, is going to be about this book I'm going through now. Uh, it's called A More Christlike World by Bradley Jersak. And it is, I've been loving this. And what Jersak is doing in his book is he's trying to show us a path forward a, a way that embraces more of the ancient way of, of engaging with scripture and reading scriptures, uh, which he calls the Emmaus way. And he's calling it, he, he, the, really the, the Emmaus way is a way of looking at scriptures with really a Christ-centric lens and being able to walk through all of these with that kind of a lens. And, and I, I think it's a beautiful way for us to be able to read scripture. This has been one of those books that has, that, rocked me in a good way like the pete ends books rocks me as well on how to read scripture and uh after we finish this series here i do want to be able to hop into it so if anyone's interested it is a more christ-like world by bradley jersak now ending 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 this craziness that we've been descending into here what is my purpose for the hour and and i wanted to talk about what does it mean to experience god in the series that we're going through here we have been dancing between the two books, The Gift of the Dark Woods by Eric Elms and Spiritual the uh, Theology by Diogenes Allen. And we have been kind of walking through of like, what does it mean to pursue God? What is, what is conversion actually? Not all this other gobbledygook that we find ourselves caught up in. And, and in this, I, I, I like having these conversations. I like dipping into these different thought pools because these books are from different eras about different subjects, but, but I believe it continues to move us in a direction of saying, what is a more sane following of the ways of Jesus? What does a more compassionate, loving picture of the kingdom of God look like? And that is what we are trying to do here through this series. Now, we've talked about several building blocks, and they have brought us to this period that Along the path, as we're trying to figure out conversion and walking through this, this new way of living, we are. I wanted to kind of talk about some of those aha moments in faith. Those times where we have, have great moments of clarity, those moments where we feel like we've experienced the divine. They could be situations that we experience with others, or they could be situations that we experience within ourselves. 
But the more that I've been like wrestling through kind of research for the conversations we have in this series, it, it's forced me to really look back in on myself and what I was raised in and around and what kind of influences were, were in my past. A lot of it was me being raised in a... It'd become more conservative fundamentalist Southern Baptist church, but at the same time, also having a lot of Pentecostal charismatic influences because I've said this before, but when I was, when I was three, I had my sister uh, who was born with, with severe, she was severely disabled and had many different chromosomal issues. And my mom's response was to really try to go and find a way to fix her or heal her. So I, I was, I was kind of stretched between these two different places because my parents stayed together and, but they, chose to kind of seek God out in different ways and for different things. And part of that, that balancing act that I walked through was being a part of this fundamentalist, this is all about assurance, this is all about exactly what we know about God, that we can speak about uncertainty of God. And, and then the other part that I was experiencing also is my mom, because my dad would not go to any of this other stuff, so my mom would drag me around and with my sister and trying to get her healed and I was experiencing things in many ways that were like Hillsong. Uh, yeah, yeah. These, these weird systems of prosperity gospel, this name it and claim it, this we can heal you of everything. God is the answer to everything as long as you give me money. And, and one of the things that I developed very early on in my life was, was a sense of kind of having to be able to have a BS meter to be able to start sniffing out crap I saw in adults crap that didn't seem to, to measure up. But at the same time, I was also ingrained with so much certainty about what God could do. And one thing I, I want to bring out, something that I've, I've learned to do over the past while is, and I would encourage you to be able to do this, is to learn to trust your own intuition. Learn to uh, trust your experiences. Learn to trust the, the lessons of past trauma that you have gone through. Learn to be able to trust those things as you begin to embrace a new path of walking. So we've been talking about what does it mean to be converted and to be converted into the ways of Christ is just to simply say, hey, I'm going to start living out the ways of Jesus by loving my neighbors and being able to see how I integrate this into my everyday life. And one of the things I thought that you know, where I could see the, the one end of it where charismatic nature of churches tried to teach me to look for the spiritual unknown, where on the flip side, we have the fundamentalists that tell me about what is absolutely known. And one thing that got beaten into my brain early that was problematic, and I, I just I felt like I needed to share with you guys today too. Did you ever think that there was like those times where people are like, well, you don't know what God can do. God is the maker of miracles. And I would always, like in situations, I was always afraid to make decisions because I wanted to be able to leave the door open for God to be able to move in those. Now, I know, and as I've grown, as I've studied theology, as I've walked out my faith, kind of gone through time periods of reconstructing and deconstructing my faith in the process of kind of getting to where I'm at right now, one of the things I've, I've realized, which, which was very, very helpful for me, and it may be helpful for you. If not, you know this. And then you can just be like, hey, I'm awesome. I already knew this. But one of these, these, these perpetuating ideas that I had was that this idea that, sure, God can do all things. 
So if God can do all things, I always have to leave the door open for some sort of magic, right? And, and I've learned over time that I also think God's not just in the magic and the maybe. I think God's also in, in those areas of logic and reason and experience that you've been through. God was there when you went through past trauma, does not want you to go through trauma again. I think sometimes we're able to be able to roll the dice and be like, you know, I've been in this situation. This situation's not helpful. This situation's harmful. This situation's abuse. I, I need to get out of it. And and I have seen so many times, especially like we like when I was watching through the stuff about Hillsong, this this idea that like, oh, well, you know, you just, you just, you need to pray harder and you just need to leave room for God to move. But honestly, sometimes, I mean, I feel like that's almost like spirituality in the sense that ends up getting very like superstitious, but then it also kind of lends itself to the odds of like the lottery, right? So there's like no conceivable reason that God is going to answer this question or this thing that you need in life because of logic, reason, things you've done or not done or the situation, whatever. But that idea that we still have to be like, well, I'm still going to pray for somehow for it to change. All you got to do is have faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. No, I actually think God doesn't want us to be stupid. I feel like that if we are created in God's image, we were created with this idea that, hey, if I touch the hot stove as a kid, that hurts. I don't want to touch that stove again. And, and I feel like that idea of always leaving this door open, in, even in impossible situations, and I know there's, I, what I'm talking about now is not a full blanket statement, but I, it's me being able to, I, I've just been through numerous situations where people are like, don't, don't divorce your abusive husband. You need to stick around and be there because you don't know what God can do. Yeah, but if he's given you five concussions over the last five months, I think God gave you a brain to be able to figure out A plus B equals C. I, I, my point is, I oftentimes feel like that we end up like descending into like wishful superstition when we try to seek God. But God is very real and God is very present in your reality. God is very real in your logic and reason as well. You do not have to check your brain out and get rid of it in order to be able to follow God. And as I'm looking at my time right now, I'm going to have to do something I don't know that I've never done before, but very rarely done. This may be a part one and a part two episode. <gasps> Cliffhangers! Will there be Marvel and credit scenes in the end? No, but you may get some Christian crazy. So, descending into this conversation, that I, I, I'm, I'm wanting us to move towards a more logical understanding of what it means to process and walk through faith, much like I was mentioning that your reason should not be checked at the door when you do this. Now, in this talk, which will start half of it, because I have been a big mouth thus far in the show, I, I want to read a bit of a devotional that I was reading. Oof, I hate that word devotional. Meditation, how about that as I was reading? This is by Matthew Fox, who is legit, and I enjoy Matthew Fox, but it's about Christian mystics. And Fox quotes Jesus saying this, and if you get nothing else out of the show today, <laughs> we, remember this trauma bad. None of that has to do with the kingdom of God. This is more about the kingdom of God. So this is Jesus speaking. And I'll quote Jesus, then I'll quote Fox's uh, take on it. Jesus said this, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, 
Come, you whom my father has blessed. Take for your heritage the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you made me welcome. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me. In prison, and you came to see me. And then the virtuous will say to him in reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and make you welcome, naked and clothe you, sick or in prison and go and see you? And the king will answer, I tell you solemnly, and so as far as you did this to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. I tell you solemnly, insofar as you neglect to do this to one of the least of these, you have neglected to do it to me. I feel like that is the kingdom of God. That is the message of Christ. That is the heartbeat of Jesus. And of all the craziness that we have unwound and tangled through in the show today, this, this, this is what it's missed with Christianity. And it's very simple. But it's also not easy to walk out. But this is what Matthew Fox had to say about that. He said, this is cosmic Christ. Talk from the mouth of the historical Jesus. It forms the bridge between Jesus and Christ. For here, Jesus is saying, the people are not just who they seem to be. They're also another Jesus, another Christ. This is Christ's mysticism. And it is the cosmic Christ being named. Jesus, Jesus goes further. He links this mysticism directly to action, to service. He personalizes compassion. To relive the misery of, quote, the least of these brothers is to relive the misery of Christ. To feed a hungry person is to feed him. Christ's mysticism is not so much about a tete-a-tete with Christ about service rendered to Christ to the least of these brothers. Jesus also speaks to inaction, sins of omission. This encompasses an entire ecological theology, since the least may include animals, fish, birds, trees, soil, air. The cosmic Christ is in all things. So to bless all things is to bless Christ. To harm things is to harm Christ. One can say to crucify the Christ. And I know we didn't fully get to where I wanted to, to be digging into today, but I do think that we had fruitful tools that kind of nudged us along in our furthering conversation that we've been going through. I think that for us to be able to look back as we talk about through the show through through the wait through the early curses through the early curses 
of the religious to the megachurch abuse that happened systemically and all through Hillsong to see how selfish an empire they were building in the name of Jesus, but only cared about power and money. To talk about bills that are going into effect in places like Florida, where we're essentially finding ways to squash and dehumanize the least of these in society, the marginalized, those that don't always have a voice. And I think that it is very central to the heartbeat of Jesus that we continue to contend with these things, that we continue to not worry about praying for the right time to do stuff, know that we see the right thing and that we do it, that we don't just wait around for God to do something, that our prayer ends up being a prayer that we walk out with our words, with our mind, but also with our hands and our feet. When we see people being oppressed, when we see groups of people being marginalized, that should bother us. And yet most of Christendom right now is more consumed with a seven mountain idea with being able to tackle and make their own kingdom, their own Christian nationalistic theocracy in their own images. And those things, though they use the words of Christ, have little to do with Jesus. Because Jesus aligns himself with those that are forgotten. Jesus calls us to be brothers and sisters of those who have been maligned by the empire. And Jesus' words continue to push us towards a better kingdom and a better tomorrow for all people. For people who realize that they are made in the image of God just as they are. Whether they are white, black, Latino, whatever you want to say, whether you are gay, straight, you are LGBTQ, regardless of where you find yourself, the love of Christ compels us to be able to walk out a humanity in a different way, in a more loving way, in a more empathetic way, in a more compassionate way. Because we got to remember, when Jesus preaches the kingdom of God, his kingdom is a very big table and everybody's invited. And when we hear all this, uh, these other religious a-holes trying to restrict, restrict, restrict access, that doesn't sound like a kingdom with a wide table to me. It doesn't. It just sounds like a system of oppression. And they've smacked the word God all over it. But just like that Hillsong documentary that I watched, I want nothing to do with that crap. I would rather be off spending my time helping and loving others. That's all I've got this week. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a good review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can hit me up at stuart at snarkyfaith.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T, snarkyfaith.com. And I thank you for all being a part of this show week after week. 
I appreciate you. And as I do every week, I release you into the wild, wide world with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. That's all I got for you, boys and girls. I'm out of here. Peace be with you. Later. See ya. Bye. Sayonara. Avidrasen. Hey there. Thanks for staying after the show. I actually appreciate you listening to the show anytime. So it's, yeah, it's no snark, no snark, all honesty. Thanks for hanging out here. I know this, this is a bit of a roller coaster episode as we went through many different topics and I'm going to have to finish <laughs> and expound upon it next week. But I did promise you earlier to be able to get some of the bonus crazy, the extra crazy, the extra crispy pieces of the Christian crazy. So what I've got for you here is some finger-licking good cringe. So, without further ado, here is your double Christian cringe of the week! Christian cringe! No! God, please, no! No! So realize you have been fully forewarned. You have been... You have read all the paperwork, you've signed all the releases, yeah, yeah. Because you're going to cringe, and if you have issues with cringing too hard, don't go crying to me. You were warned. Now, first up, I told you we had two. We've got two. Two beautiful pieces of cringe. The first one is Prophet Johnny and Lowe. Now, Johnny is at a church service doing... Good church work by endorsing candidates for office, because that's a whole nother story and a whole nother show, which we've done before, but maybe again. Johnny is endorsing these candidates for office, but I, I want you just to hold near your heart Johnny's kind of way of spiritually talking about alternative winning because in Johnny's heart there's winning in reality and then there's kind of winning in the spiritual realm which really kind of sounds like losing or like if I win in the spiritual realm do I get a participation trophy how does that really work Johnny I don't even know okay go ahead commission them in your name they have asked for that as well Lord so we commission them and whatever yes, that means and represents and is imparted to them in the spirit realm yes, of apostolic commissioning, let that be released over them. Even right now, Lord, let the new angels that come with that, uh, with that commissioning be released to them yes. right now. Angels that protect their household, uh, angels that protect their relationships, the husband and wife, the family, the children, all aspects of it. Let yes. that new shield come around all of yes. them, even at this time, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, you're showing me and want me to tell them all that you've already won and it's winning from his standpoint, which means he's shown me before that whatever we contend for, we actually get. Whatever we contend for, we penetrate with the kingdom of God. You penetrate with the... Ugh, that sounds just... That's not right. I don't think anybody need, needs to ever use the phrase penetrate with the kingdom of 
God, never, never should those words ever be spoken again. No one should ever say the words penetrate with the kingdom of God ever again, even though I said it again. Yes, yes, yes. So guess what, folks? If you don't win, don't worry. You've got, you know, your winners and your hearts and the kingdom's gonna penetrate you. It doesn't sound enticing, but yay, Jesus? Eh, eh, eh. So in moving on from penetration to God seeming like God is just absolutely flaccid and unable to get it up for the occasion. Yes, in this version of Christianity, where we will have Cat Care talking about how God's going to fix things in the future, but maybe, you know, in my mind, like, why can't we have a little spiritual Viagra, like, now? Like, yesterday? Like, this version of God sounds really inert when people talk about it, and ungodly and unpowerful, but... What do I know? I don't get to hang out in heaven. I can't care. Also, the weird little egg voice that's happening is Steve Schultz asking her innocuous, idiotic questions to just tee her up for her own crazy. So here we go with specific things with cat care about how God is awesome in the future, just not really now you'll see does the lord show you natural uh, uh, medical cures that will become available do you see any of that when he takes you to the future yes absolutely i do cancer will not exist on the earth at one time there'll be no cancer anywhere uh the virus he's going to make like dust which tells me it will no longer be on the earth there'll be five major medical cures of things that will no longer exist when he says a cure he means it won't come back uh, there's no way it will come back because of the glory that will begin to be poured out, not just on the earth, but from our own selves who've created glory for oh, God. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a whole, these are whole different revelations that you're having me try to say in one sentence. It's a lot to say in one sentence, but I love how she laid out. There's like five things that God's going to cure. Now, if, if, if I've learned anything from listening to the whole thing about Hillsong and Carl Lentz and Houston and all of that, I could probably assume because God's a part of Hillsong, right? Because that's what they told us. That what is like? What are the five things they're going to cure? Is it going to be like syphilis, gonorrhea, genital herpes, chlamydia, crabs, the clap? Who knows? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. The God that can enact the plagues of the Old Testament that has problems with COVID because apparently Kenneth Copeland couldn't blow it away. <laughs> but future tense, God will get more God powers and be able to do more God things and get rid of more diseases. Oh, cat care. You, 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 you're teasing us. We don't know what God's going to cure in the future. Maybe it's hangnail. Maybe it's blackheads. Maybe it's ingrown hairs or flatulence. Maybe God's going to get rid of farting because that would probably be just as holy as the fecal expellation that came out of Cat Care's mouth 
just now. And again, none of this has to do with the kingdom of God. But oh, is it wholly ripe for snarkiness. That's literally all I've got this week. I'm going to stop recording in three and a two and a one. But I love you. Go love other people. I'm out of here. Isn't the Lord good? Oh, the Lord is so good. Wasn't it something how that just as I came on the air, this started just bellowing and boiling out of me? Isn't that something? See, you understood it, didn't you? Isn't that something? Isn't that something?